The GameCube is Cool podcast is a recorded and produced show from Toronto, Canada. If you want to support the show, you can do so by going to patreon.com forward slash the GameCube was cool to find our $1 and $5 a month tiers. Special thank you to our Patreon supporters for the month of August at the $5 or above level. I Rebel, Jem McKay, Dan Wagner, Kirsten Cardinal, Jed Winters, Christopher Valenz, Joey Sirico, and Resident Evil Collector. The GameCube, GameCube was cool. Hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. Neil, it's almost that time. It's almost back to school time already. Seeing all the flyers, seeing all the commercials. Yep. As it is uh, every, basically as soon as summer starts now. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I Even as a kid, I remember just like July, June even, there'd be back to school stuff. Not even when school was over. It's like, come on. You'd start to see the crayons coming out. I gotta say though, even now as an adult, I still get a little bit excited. Like when I see crayons out on the yeah. shelf, like there's just a piece of me that thinks like, Oh, what's what's my list this year? What do I need for year twenty eight of life? You know, like you always used to get that I, little. I could use burnt sienna. <laughs> yeah, you finally get to use yellow green. Uh, <laughs> gonna find out what that color does. It's a very nostalgic time though. The uh, the transition from summer to fall. Just thinking back to like when we're kids, like you know all the excitement of whose class am I gonna be in? You know, maybe you're going to a new school or or whatever, picking up all your new supplies. Even though you your old your last year's supplies are perfectly fine, <laughs> I'm sure that our parents probably tried to talk us into that. But we still have in our house to this day a a drawer like in a dresser filled with school supplies because oh, yeah. we just didn't use everything. But we kept buying new things, which was. Probably not a good use of money, but uh, hey, our, my kids will be set someday. <laughs> Your kids will be set. They'll also be set watching Arthur, Neil, and I love Arthur. Uh, I I don't know why I thought of it the other day. I guess because of back to school, like watching Arthur mm. when I was a kid. And I was talking to some friends the other day about Arthur, as you do. And sure, uh, the episode with Buster Baxter came up uh, with uh, the Ballad of Buster Baxter. Remember that one? Uh, not exactly. Arthur was more of a you show. Like, I think like literally like a Mike show. I didn't watch it a ton. I mainly watched it when it was on in school. Our teachers used to put it on like mm-hmm. when it was raining outside or occasionally I have memories of us renting or borrowing Arthur VHS tapes from the library. <laughs> so I only have a very like specific memory of watching like the Christmas special and the one, of course, the Arthur, what is it? The Arthur punches DW episode oh. is infamous in the meme. In, in internet memes, I love that. But no, I don't remember the uh, the Buster Baxter remix episode. Oh, that's uh, that's when he, uh, Buster, went away because his parents got divorced. And so his mm. dad was a pilot, if you remember, and um, he took him around the world. And so Buster left the show for a while, uh, which was pretty oh, like okay. uh, groundbreaking for a kid's show to for do a car- like that. For a cartoon, too. Like, I'm just thinking, like, there are other shows that did stuff like that, like Saved by the Bell or yeah. The Wonder Years did a lot of things. But cartoons, why why would they do that unless the voice <laughs> actor needed to go? But in that case, they might have either recasted them. It did – that show did handle a lot of mature topics for the age group that it was going after. Yeah, like there's the famous uh, Hanukkah episode with Francine. Uh, that mm-hmm. was always a good one. There's um, – and yeah, and, and just divorce with Buster's parents because he does come back and the Battle of the Buster Baxter is him, him coming back to the show – and him, you know, hanging out with his friends, uh, and everything's changed. They don't; they're not into the same stuff as they were anymore. And uh, 
there's a singing moose throughout it who's uh <laughs> who's kind of singing all like what's what's happening almost like narrative singing buster right. baxter went away and he come back buster baxter went away then he came back buster baxter this is what he really underrated tool in cartoons is when the there's a, an artist singing the song and that's actually a very well-known artist who sings that song that's right neil that's art garfunkel uh, who is the singing moose <laughs> i love that fact i think you've told me that before it's really cool the the music in that show is highly underrated i mean everybody loves the theme song of course but a lot of people don't know by that ziggy that song marley. is sung by ziggy marley yeah bob marley's son wrote the theme song to uh to arthur which is just such a random artist to get and yeah. Probably his, I'm definitely his most famous song. Every day um, when you're walking down the street, everybody, everybody that, that you meet, you meet <laughs> get along with each other. Every millennial knows that song. Were you just thinking of that show just out of the blue, or was there anything that made you think about it? Because Arthur was in the news last week. Oh, was it because Art Garfunkel came out saying uh, that was his most treasured work that he's ever done? <laughs> no, yeah, he's going to be playing a tour when COVID is over. He's going to be playing a tour where that's the only songs he plays are the songs from Arthur. No, a bit of sad news. Uh, after 25 years of being on the air now, as of 2022, Arthur is being taken down. They're no longer making new episodes of the show, which is funny that you brought it up just now. And you say you were just thinking about it, but it's kind of serendipitous that it, it yeah. came up in the news about about a week ago that they're they're canceling the show. There are new episodes being made to this day, which I did not know. Yeah, that's that's incredible. <laughs> yes, it's it's actually longer. It's a lo- it's the longest standing cartoon, I believe, now almost of all time ahead of SpongeBob. Uh, I'm mm-hmm. assuming SpongeBob will probably surpass it now. But yeah, uh, 25 years of being on the show, it, its last episode will air in 2022. So I feel like we need to have some kind of a send-off for Arthur uh, yeah. when the last episode airs. We'll all watch The Ballad of Buster Baxter together. <laughs> in, in that episode, like, Art Garfunkel is sitting on like the couch with the kids. He's eating their popcorn. He's probably a cool dude. I've been watching a lot of Arthur content the last few days, and Matt Damon was in an episode too. I don't know if you knew that. I know Backstreet Boys were in one. Yeah, it's like this. It's like the kids' version of The Simpsons. All of these celebrity <laughs> yeah. cameos that they got in there. But yeah, a terrific cartoon that's that will be missed. Um, I, I hope that one day I can show the show to my kids because it's just really fun. It is very well done. Canadian cartoon, like you said. Good life lessons. Yeah, yeah, that's what cartoons should have. Mom, there's a singing moose on the driveway because Buster's like, how long has the singing moose been hanging out with you guys? It's like, oh, I thought he came with you. <laughs> <laughs> Man. They never address why they're all just talking anthropomorphic animals, do they? I don't think so, but you know, it's 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 nice. It's uh, it's like kids of all races, you know. Yeah, but all I guess that's true. Species. Very, very inclusive. Mike Chris from Patreon writes in today. Of course, listeners, if you want to support us on Patreon at the five dollar or above level, you can do so, and we will read your name in the credits, and you can submit an opening topic to the show. Christopher Valenz submits his topic today, and Mike, it's a very simple question. Chris wants to know what is our or what are our favorite Pokemon's? What is what our Pokemon? Uh, uh, is what what is our favorite Pokemon? I guess that's correct. Yeah. I I feel like I'm an adult now. I like when we're kids, like all the adults get the Pokemon verbs and adjectives wrong. Now I'm getting them wrong. Who's your favorite Pikachu? <laughs> They're all Pikachu's, aren't they? <laughs> Do you have a favorite Pokemon, Mike? I believe you do. Uh, yeah, my favorite Pokemon is is Mewtwo. He's he's my favorite. He's my boy. Uh, ever mm. since the first movie, that is he is in the first movie, right? That's that's like yeah. Mewtwo Strikes yeah. Back or whatever it's called. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's correct. He's obviously made from like the Mew DNA and everything. He's the 150 first Pokemon, I believe. He looks so I, cool I get them all too. mixed up. 
He's, he's very cool. He's got three fingers. He's in Smash Bros. Yeah. Can't go wrong with Mewtwo. And Great I didn't character. really and... realize he was a cat. Um, <laughs> it makes sense that Jeez. he is, but like, I don't know. Yeah, he's, he's like... Yeah, he's like a furless cat, kind of. Yeah, yeah. You like cats, so I guess that makes sense. Uh, I don't know. But you don't like yeah. <laughs> you don't like Meowth or Persian. You don't like those ones. I like Persian. I'm actually a big fan of Persian mm. because you never see Persian talked about ever. It's all no. Meowth gets all the love and all the glory, but Meowth sucks. Mm. <laughs> if you went into like a Pokemon store and they had a ton of Persian merch, that would just be the weirdest <laughs> thing. Yeah, those evolutions don't uh, they don't get a lot of love, you know? Like Raichu, no. like poor Raichu. Yeah. I know. Well, Pete, well, I mean, like, how do you follow Pikachu? Yeah. Like, how do you do it? You know, <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, like at the time of recording this episode, there are 898 Pokemon, which I did not realize until today. That's just mind blowing to me just to think, you know, Mike and I were both old enough to remember when Gen 1 came out. So obviously that's where we have probably the biggest nostalgia for Gen 1 and Gen 2. So uh, my favorite one, my favorite Pokemon of all time is Charmander. Nice. My boy Charmander, he's adorable. He's like a little yeah. char. He's a, he's a little chameleon char. with a flame on his tail. His his episode was so sad. Yeah, like he, his owner, his owner like leaves him out. Spoilers if you haven't seen this episode. That's like thirty years old now. But uh, his owner like leaves him out in the rain, and his tail is gonna go out. And Ash saves him, and it's a really emotional episode. And yeah. that episode sticks with me so much. It's kind of like rescuing a dog or something in the Pokemon universe. So second saddest episode for me. Hmm. The, What's number, the first saddest episode? Number then? one being the movie? Uh, Bye Bye Butterfree when uh, mm, when Ash oh, has, to, has to let Butterfree go. And that's another good life lesson for kids. You know, uh, sometimes you just have to let things go and let things be free. Yeah. <laughs> if you if you love somebody, set them free. Who yeah. said that? Sting? Yeah, that seems that right. Let's call it. Let's, let's yeah, say were... Sting. <laughs> what was it with Pokemon and making so many sad episodes? I like it. I love that. You know, yeah. I, don't, I don't want my toxic positivity throughout cartoons. I get enough of that at mm. work. <laughs> that's true that's true toxic positivity is toxic hence the name i also have a i gotta give a huge shout out to vanillite who's a more Ooh, new pokemon yeah. like from the recent generation who's literally just an ice cream cone <laughs> <laughs> he's a scoop of vanilla ice cream they put him in the new uh the new pokemon snap game which i was happy about yeah gotta give a shout out to my boy vanillite and charmander of course well i will give then a shout out to my boy typhlosion because that is the best name i would say in the Pokemon universe, and I love Typhlosion. That's a pretty sweet name. Yeah. I'm trying to think of another good one, but I can't. Thank you so much, Chris, for that opening topic. Mike, I think it's time for our favorite segment. It's time for the mailbag. mailbag. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to write into the show, you can do so on any of the podcast services that you listen to us on by leaving us a rating and a review. You can also send us a DM. We check Instagram most often, just like Mike, who wrote into us today. SKT73 from Instagram wrote in, saying, hey, guys, how you doing? Doing pretty good. <laughs> I Thanks picked up asking. a GameCube this year, my first, and put a, a GC loader in it and have been working through episodes of your podcast, and it's been a godsend to know what's worth my time. It's easy to think a game is just junk when you don't know how to play it or you're just terrible and don't realize the benefit of persistence, and your pod is helping me enjoy <laughs> games I never thought I would. So good on you. Excellent work. Sweet. Thank you so much. It was JK. J- no, SKT73. So Skate73, I'm going to guess. Oh, yeah, Skate73. Well, thank, thank you so much, Skate73, for that uh, awesome review. We're really happy to uh, to review a few games to save you some money and some time before trying a game and hitting your head against the wall because you went ahead and bought Charlie's Angels by mistake. We all make mistakes out there, and we're trying to mm. we're trying to um, prevent that from happening again. And we have a bunch of games to talk about today, some of which are probably worth picking up, some of which are definite misses. Uh, Mike, I still hear that mailbag ruffling, though. Is there one more letter in there before we start the show? 
Yeah, yeah, this mailbag is big today. Hold on. It's heavy. It's a heavy boy. Oh, yeah, heavy, heavy mailbag here. Uh, oh, this one is a short one, actually. It's from, okay. it's a five-star review on Apple Podcasts Love it. Uh, USA. Okay. It's from His Infernal Majesty 785689. Okay, okay. And it says, Happy Leif Erikson Day. Hingadingadurgan. Oh, hey, is it actually Leif Erikson Day? I love that episode of SpongeBob. I don't even know what day that, is. what day did that, uh, what day did that review come in? I think it was earlier this month, so okay. uh, so maybe it's like the start of the month. What a random episode of SpongeBob that was! Like just to start with a Leaf Erickson day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Fantastic. That's how I know Leaf Erickson day. I feel that's how most millennials know Leaf Erickson oh, day. Oh, one hundred percent, Mike. And there's a and there's a bunch more uh, cartoons that a bunch of millennials will know today. So this is the perfect episode to strap in for episode sixty three of the GameCube was cool podcast. New episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. We are the number one GameCube podcast on the internet. We're here to look back on all 555 North American GameCube games, one by one, sometimes 12 by 12. So far, we have covered 305 GameCube games. You can visit thegamecubeiscool.com to check out all the things we've been working on. The website was developed by our very own Mike Lane. That's me. That's him. Last week, we covered Rampage and King Kong to celebrate... uh, Gorillas? I don't know. This week, we're covering Yu-Gi-Oh! <laughs> Beyblade and a few other anime games that really take us back to the days of grade school, where we used to go deep into fads at school that eventually were banned on the schoolyard. <laughs> <laughs> we have a guest joining us today to talk a little bit about Yu-Gi-Oh! But first, Mike, it's time to duel. What are some of your memories around Yu-Gi-Oh? Let's, before we have our guest come on, let's talk a little bit between the two of us about our... Uh, very good memories of playing this very popular card game on the schoolyard when we were quite young. Yugi boy. Well, <laughs> Yugi boy. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, this was kind of the the next thing after Pokemon at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pokemon, you know, really, really big amongst our generation between, I would say, 99 and like 2002. And then yep. you're seeing Yu-Gi-Oh! from maybe 2002 to 2005, if you want to give it that kind of window. Uh, mm-hmm. and I, I loved Yu-Gi-Oh! I actually liked Yu-Gi-Oh! a lot more than Pokemon at the time and got way more into it. I think also because I was getting a little older, I had some allowance money that I could use to buy some of these cards yes. and, uh, and actually asking for the cards when I got them, I realized, oh, um, you know, I can actually play this in this game. I understand how this game can be played where Pokemon mm-hmm. was just really collecting them more or less. Yeah, Yu-Gi-Oh was literally based the show was literally based around the card games, so it translated way better. Most most of us just collected Pokemon cards cuz we liked the pictures and we never learned how to play. I to this no. day never fully understood how to play Pokemon. I, I learned it a little bit in high school and I got okay at it, but it was not as much fun as playing Yu-Gi-Oh and the show Yu-Gi-Oh just constantly beat you over the head with the basic rules on how to play the game, which definitely helped. I think everybody out there knows how to how to use Pot of Greed in a in a round absolutely because they explain it about a fifty dozen times in the first season. So it's funny because the 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 TV series was actually based on the manga, um, which right. I didn't realize that there was a, a Yu-Gi-Oh manga that was the first thing that came out, and the TV series came out before the cards themselves. So the cards came after the series or slash like while the series was coming out. So that's one mm-hmm. of the biggest reasons why Yugi just has no rules when he plays uh, because right. they didn't have a real set of rules at the time uh, when mm-hmm. they were creating the show. And that's why there's so many good compilations of him just <laughs> screwing the rules. It's wild. Like I loved going back into the history of this, this franchise because yeah. I did not know the manga actually started in 1996. Yeah. So it's actually, 
it could possibly be older than Pokemon, I suppose. It's right around the same age, even mm-hmm. though we didn't actually discover Yu-Gi-Oh! until quite a bit later than Pokemon. The anime, like you said, came out in 98, and then the card game started in 1999. To, about, to this day, uh, the manga has sold about 40 million copies, which I don't know if that's good. It sounds pretty good. I don't read manga. But what's really impressive is that the cards, the Yu-Gi-Oh! trading card game, has, has sold approximately 35 billion cards worldwide and grossed $9.6 billion. The highest grossing so, trading card game of all time. More than Magic, yeah. I was actually a little surprised at wow. that. Wow. That's that's a crazy stat because Magic is insanely popular. And Magic is insanely popular amongst a community of people who have money, typically. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. Yu-Gi-Oh, you think it being of kids, like what you said, who have just pocket money that yeah. just want to spend their allowance on a pack of cards every few weeks or whatever. But yeah, I, I like you. I have very vivid memories of discovering Yu-Gi-Oh. I was in grade three, so I must have been about eight or nine years old. Mm-hmm. And the first card, I literally remember the first card I saw, it was Monster Egg, which is, it looks like a Goosebumps cover. It's sort of like this cracked egg. You can see like dinosaur legs coming out of the, f- like feet coming out of the bottom of it and these eyes deep inside of it. Yeah. It has the attack power of 600 and the defense of 900 with no special effects. <laughs> this card, beyond useless, but somehow <laughs> this card pulled me into this franchise that, uh, like you said, was really the, the dividing the thing that came after Pokemon. And this was the first thing that I discovered on my own, whereas Pokemon was yeah. really introduced to me by an older sibling. This was something that I found and that I was the only person in my family interested in. And I was very interested in it for two to three years as a, as a kid. You know, we played it at school until it was banned. We'd play it at birthday parties, at hockey parties, like Tim Hortons at Pizza Hut. Like we played this game anywhere we could. Well, I, was, I wanted to talk about how uh, my birthday party in 2000 three maybe uh do you remember that the Yu-Gi-Oh themed birthday party i do yeah and everyone had to bring their cards and you made up like a little tournament right that's right so so story time here neil it's time okay. for a story it's time. oh is that is that, is that uh is that art garfunkel <laughs> is that art garfunkel i hear back there uh so my, my dad worked as a marketing manager for mac trucks and uh, he was responsible for putting on the Super Bowl, Super Bowl parties every year. And we would rent out this big space uh, in February uh, and have, you know, the whole company there. They would have crazy stuff going on. There was a place for kids as well. And he did that so many years that he, like, I guess was, like, would get free passes to use mm. this <laughs> this area. And cool. um, one year, I guess he had enough stuff saved up that he got it for my birthday, I guess when I was turning 10, I think. And mm-hmm. we decided to have a Yu-Gi-Oh card tournament there because a lot of the stuff was already set up to have these card tournament, like poker tournaments. And uh, so we had the tables ready to go. <laughs> and um, and that way it was, it felt like a real thing. I'm just, I remember I was counting down the days on my calendar because I was so excited oh, yeah. to play this or to have this tournament. There was probably about mm-hmm. 20 or so kids that came, um, maybe more. I don't remember. I had a summon skull cake. Uh, <laughs> I, I vividly remember that summon skull cake. I will has, have to ask my mom for a picture of it. Find that so we can post it because <laughs> it's definitely it's find that. I, I don't remember that cake. That sounds so cool. That, that was like that was the dream was like recreating the show at yeah. a birthday party. And like it's fun to do it with your friends because like if you go to an actual tournament for Yu-Gi-Oh at the age of 10, you're going to yeah. get your ass handed to you so fast by just teenagers who have money or adults that got into the show. Never did well in Yu-Gi-Oh tournaments, but such a great game. That's really funny. I remember a very specific part of that birthday party because I think I got knocked out pretty early in that tournament. And mm. uh 
two of my friends were in the finals. It was my friend Nathaniel, who's been on the show before for the Melee episode. Right. Mm-hmm. And uh, and our friend Craig as well, who we played hockey with Neil many, many years oh, yeah. ago. Wow. Yeah. That's a name from the past. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Nathaniel, you know, he had his deck had everything. It had the like, Gate Guardian. It had all those cards to go with it. Yeah. It had the, the Blue Eyes, the Red Eyes, uh, the Dark Magician Girl. At the time, these were all really, really good cards. Uh, sure. And meanwhile, Craig, you know, he just had whatever. And he wasn't even that into Yu-Gi-Oh! But, he, you know, every kid had a Yu-Gi-Oh! pack at this point. Uh, sure. <laughs> and uh, Nathaniel had the chance to beat Craig and was like, nah, like, I'll, I'll, I'll like let him, you know, I'll do, I'll, I'll wait one more turn or whatever. Because uh, I guess oh, he no. had something ready to go. And Craig beat him on the next turn because I guess he had uh, everything lined up for his magic cards. Some, uh, some monster reborn... He- yeah, he had a mirror and... force in there, yeah. <laughs> revealing light, something that helped him out. And just everything went for him, and he won, and Nathaniel was just shocked. He could not wow. believe that he had lost with this amazing deck that he had, and, and I'll, I'll just never forget that moment. That's so cool. Do you remember like what the prize was for that tournament? I'm trying to remember Yeah, we now. did have a prize. I forget what it was. Uh, I think I think my dad might have bought like a, a, a thing of one of those boxes of cards. Oh, the tins, uh, the tins. Which, which came with like, which ta- which came with like one really cool card, and then like twelve pack, like booster packs, which was like crack to <laughs> yeah. a kid. Those tins were so cool, man! I'm, like, you I'm get certain so many it was a cards. tin that he that that he bought for the prize. Wow. Those things were those things were like the thing to have, man. Like I remember going to stores looking for tins, and like people, these adults wondering what the hell I was talking about. <laughs> like they had the uh, the starter decks were really popular, which I got all of those at some point, which were really fun. And then the packs. I remember specifically the first pack I ever got was actually the starter deck Kaiba, Ooh. which came with Blue Eyes White Dragon. That was like everybody's Kaiba boy. <laughs> was like everybody's starter deck, and that was so cool. I still have my Blue Eyes. Do you have a favorite Yu-Gi-Oh card before we get started on the episode? Well, I wanted to say that my first Yu-Gi-Oh card that I remember was Penguin Soldier. <laughs> <laughs> just a good a, one. Yeah, just a kind of fun random card. Uh, that's a that's a good question. My favorite Yu-Gi-Oh card. I mean, I I like the classics, like the one I once I said. Um, yeah. Uh, I, my favorite as a kid was Gate Guardian because I worked so hard to buy Gate Guardian. Uh, mm. I think it was forty dollars at the the local wow. card store. It's um, a lot of money in 2002, 2003. For a ten year old, that was like an insane <laughs> amount of money because I I. Yeah. Had gotten the three others that you need to to summon him, uh, right. and I remember I found one on the ground walking home from school. That was what? huge. Yeah, it was the blue one. I forget his name. Yeah, it's like Sa- Sa- Saiga. Saga. Yeah, there. Yeah, that's like finding a one hundred dollar bill. Yeah. Oh my god, it was <laughs> it was amazing. So then I was like, I have to get Gate Guardian. So I saved my yeah. money, and that that was probably the coolest one I had. And mm. before we move on, uh, I do want to say some uh, this crazy stat that I did not know. Uh, Yu-Gi-Oh! as a franchise is one of the top-grossing fr- uh, media franchises of all time. Uh, mm. We spoke about how Rampage and King Kong are there. Uh, Kirby also cracking the top 50. Yeah, uh, like Superman and a couple, a couple of superhero franchises right. that we covered a few weeks ago. Well, Neil, Yu-Gi-Oh! ranks in the top 25 between Lord of the Rings and Peanuts. Wow. Yeah. That's incredibly high. That is incredibly high. Way higher than I thought it was going to be. And I, wow. I did some looking into, obviously, the cards were a big part of it. But the mobile mm-hmm. game um, has made uh, over $100 million alone. Sure. 
That makes sense. Yeah, the mobile the mobile games are very good. Yu-Gi-Oh is a is a great mobile game to have on the go and the cards like we've said are complete cash cows for I think Konami publish or print and distribute the yep. uh the Yu-Gi-Oh cards. So that's just paying them in dividends every single week probably to this day. It was Konami and Upper Deck actually. Konami was the uh or Upper Deck was the distributor and Konami was the publisher and okay. uh, there was actually a big lawsuit back in the day because Upper Deck was 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 creating these knockoff cards and selling them. Uh, mm, and so okay. uh, Konami now owns it fully. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, I remember specifically I fell off the bandwagon for Yu-Gi-Oh! probably around 2005-ish. Like it was when yeah. Yu-Gi-Oh! GX and 5Ds came out. I don't remember. I don't know anything about those ones. I, I mainly, like most people our age, we watched like the original series. Then we watched the Battle City tournament with the Egyptian God cards. And then we moved on to high school or something junior yeah, high Egyptian school god cards that was that was when it ended yeah. for me i remember i remember yeah. those story arcs went so long for his wing mm-hmm. dragon of raw or whatever the oh yeah <laughs> the thing was albumus the tormentor and slight for the oh, sky god. dragon yes. and wow good job yeah. you remember them <laughs> oh yeah oh dude you hear it billions of times a week like <laughs> it's, it's in my mind more than anything i learned in school which is funny not so fast pharaoh <laughs> kaiba <laughs> the memes around Yu-Gi-Oh are terrific. <laughs> All right, let, let's let's do a whole bunch more bad Yu-Gi-Oh uh, Yu-Gi-Oh impressions. We're going to talk today about Yu-Gi-Oh: The Falsebound Kingdom, which was released on November fourth, two thousand three. It's developed by Konami, published by Konami. This is a GameCube exclusive. Rates about a five out of ten. It's priced at around twenty-five dollars, and for some reason, it's an RTS. Before we go any further talking about Yu-Gi-Oh: The Falsebound Kingdom, we do have a guest joining us today. Mike, who's in, who's waiting in the waiting room? Joining us today is Ramon, so-called enemy of the pod. And now, Ramon, why, why oh. have you decided to flip the script here and become the enemy of the show? Is Are, are you trying to become Pegasus? Yeah, you know, the villains always have a bit more of an interesting storyline. So I'm pivoting my role there. So I hate you guys. But you don't hate the GameCube. It's just us. Oh, no, it. I love the GameCube. But, yeah. but I will start my own podcast talking about, I don't know. Relinquished. <laughs> <laughs> and inviting a bunch of children to your island with no parental supervision you're a big fan of that right oh yeah so many plot problematic plot lines with that whole whole franchise we ate it up like <laughs> it was craft dinner man it was the best show for years we watched it we talked about it we quoted it and now we have hilarious memes based on it and now we also have a video game that came out uh, in the early 2000s, which I did not know about, despite the fact that I was really into Yu-Gi-Oh! like Neil was as well. Uh, Ramon, did you own this game? I, I own it. I'm looking at it right now. It's very washed out. But... Oh, okay. D- did you throw it out in the rain or something? Did you not like it? This is a very <laughs> divisive game. I don't know if you know this, Ramon. A lot of people hate it. A lot of people love it. If you go on Metacritic, it gets fours. And if you go on Metacritic again, it gets tens. Like... There seems to be such a divide with this game. I myself did not play this particular Yu-Gi-Oh game. I don't know if you guys know this. Do you know how many Yu-Gi-Oh games there are? I'd say at least a dozen. I'm going to say like 70. Ramon is very close. It's 57. Oh my god. And there's two on the way. So there are a lot of Yu-Gi-Oh games. A lot of them are like on PlayStation 2, DS, Game Boy Advance, like a lot of handheld games as well as... A lot of PS Vita games for sure. Yes, there are a lot, and and a lot of them are only in Japan, so we didn't get all of them, but 57 official Yu-Gi-Oh video games according to Wikipedia, which is bananas, and only one on GameCube, which is is hilarious. (laughs) Uh, PS3 had three, so I'm a little bit hurt about that. 
Uh, but yeah, I had the I had the Game Boy Advance Yu-Gi-Oh game, which was fun as a kid because when you're in car rides and or with your when you're with your family, it couldn't play Yu-Gi-Oh. So I had this Game Boy Advance game that was, I remember being in, incredibly hard and a really good representation of Yu-Gi-Oh on a handheld. Mm-hmm. But I never actually played any of the console ones, and this game is quite a bit different than the card games. So Ramon, tell us a little bit about Yu-Gi-Oh Falsebound Kingdom. How is it different than the card battle games that we enjoyed so much as kids? All right, so you have to remember that, what, we were 12? I don't know how old we were at that point. Yeah, like 10 Everyone only knew Yu-Gi-Oh! for the card game. Like, the actual, obviously the anime as well, but, like, it was supposed to be a card game. And, like, Yu-Gi-Oh! Live also played the, um, I think, the uh, Game Boy Advance game, where it is you're just playing the card game. Right. So, (laughs) obviously I see it. It's the only Yu-Gi-Oh! game on GameCube. Without a second thought, I beg my mom to buy it oh also promotional cards it came with three promotional cards so you want to get those exclusive uh rare cards there of course you pop it in and you realize uh oh this is not a card game (laughs) nope (laughs) this is a weird at the point i didn't realize it was an rpg but it was like a weird turn-based like military game where you kind of just advance units and they it looks like they just slapped on you know the franchise on it and at that point, yeah, I absolutely hated this game. But... It's, it's an it's an RPG with RTS elements, which was the weirdest thing for, like you said, like if you're 12 years old, you better like Final Fantasy before buying that game. Otherwise, you're in for a world of hurt. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I bought, or I played Crystal Chronicles prior, and I'm like, mm-hmm. eh, you know, not that game for me, but it was all right. So, yeah. yeah, getting into this game, you instantly sense buyer's remorse as a 12-year-old kid. Oh, no. But I will say... Once you keep playing it, or once I kept playing it, I love this game. Ooh, okay, so you're you're the guy who gave the 4 out of 10 when he first got it, uh, and then later on gave a 10 out of 10. It's very good. Um, once you get, you know, bypass the whole shock of, oh, it's not a card game, it's like a RPG. Yes. It's, I, I, I won't compare it to other RPGs because I think there's other successful ones, but you know, for the time and for the franchise, it was trying to do something different. And um, there actually is like a pretty decent storyline into it, even though it's mostly text based. But um, it it does a good job, you know, melding the franchise into this format where it is essentially kind of an adventure game, mm-hmm. right? And I think that that was the issue with the game outright is that the people that were buying it, the Yu-Gi-Oh fans who were buying it, were probably they probably had that knee-jerk reaction of this is not a card game, this is nothing like the show, I don't like it, I'm going to return it now to EB Games and get some of my money back. And then there was there would have been people who would have had to review this game or picked it up who are not Yu-Gi-Oh fans, and they're not going to like it either because they don't like Yu-Gi-Oh, so they're, they're not going to like the game, and they might not be able to review it for what it is, which is a turn-paced RPG with RTS elements. So it kind of doesn't capture either market. It doesn't capture the market they're going after, and it doesn't capture the market that they're not going after either, unless you stick it out and understand the game for what it is. It's not supposed to be the card game that you know Yugi, Joey, and Kaiba are playing. It's meant to be this sort of prequel to the show where you're really kind of following the monsters in their Egyptian history. Like in Yu-Gi-Oh, the cards are sort of like these monsters that have been captured in these cards, and that's how they use them to battle. And this is them being free battling each other so it's almost like pokemon snap in that sense where you get to see the monsters outside of the cards and kind of being natural and fighting each other Yu-Gi-Oh snap uh <laughs> <Yu-Gi-Oh> snap <laughs> ramon do you remember the loading screen for this game oh yes yeah so 
essentially it'd be a brown map and i think it just had the logo at the bottom and that was it from what i recall well there was that one but there was also time wizard bouncing around in the corners oh yeah yeah yeah. oh now okay it was the dvd load screen where everybody knows the dvd load screen where the dvd (laughs) is bouncing around from edge to edge this one is time wizard doing that exact same thing and you just want him to hit those corners man you just want time wizard to hit those corners those load times were pretty long though i will say I, that's why I noticed, because I was staring at it for a while. <laughs> Not only is the, are the load screens low, though, Ramon, it's the, the combat. This is an issue that I have with t- listeners out there know that Mike and I are not huge fans of turn-based... I almost said turn-based comedy games. Turn-based <laughs> combat games. It's hot in here. Uh, the issue with turn-based <laughs> combat games is that uh, it's just slow. Like, you can't skip the, the fight animations. I would love it if it, was, it could just be a little bit faster. Like, I like the idea of the game. Like, in, on paper, it, it sounds really fun. It's a... Once I get past the point that it's a turn-based game, it's it's the characters from the Egyptian timeline. They're fighting each other, bef- you know, years before the card game has been invented, which is neat. It's it's loosely based on the cartoon where there's different storylines weaved into it, which is cool. But then you go into this slow-moving combat with all the monsters that I love, and they're in... One thing that bothers me about turn-based RPGs is when the battles take place in these wide-open environments that are empty. Yeah. Like, it's just awkward to see two or three characters standing in front of two or three other characters slashing back and forth, and there's, like, 200 yards on either side of them, just empty field. Kind of reminds me of, like, getting a job interview in a university lecture hall. Like, it's just this massive (laughs) space for this small event, and it's just awkward, you know? Yeah. I'll do you one worse. So, um, in the game, obviously, similar to, like, Pokemon and any, any other kind of monster game, you can, you know, increase your party and get different monsters as you progress through the story. There are particular uh, monsters where, like, they're indicated... Sorry, they're supposed to be on a map somewhere, but there's no indication about where they are. It's just, like, really, really bad graphics of, like, oh. water. And you're oh, just geez. supposed to kind of stumble upon it, like, accidentally. So this is one of those games where I really had to use game facts to, like, really find out where all the cheats were and <laughs> walk through the entire game. Because it, you're right, there's no... Uh, the maps are fairly big sometimes, and they're they're pretty empty, and they're not that great looking. Like, the graphics for this game is awful. It's, uh, <laughs> it's like, literally, a, like, a stick in the mud, and then they add, like, particle effects to it to make it like kind uh. of fun <laughs> yeah the definitely the graphics were even bad for the time i would say because we've been covering some game or we're going to be covering some games uh for this episode that came out the same time but the graphics are, are far superior it's one of those games where i consider it's dark it's too dark you can't see anything yeah that was a classic thing that that a lot of these early two, 2000s games did they just made everything really dark blur effects everywhere dark shadows on everything <laughs> like it felt like someone was putting like black gradients on all the the corners <laughs> if you can't see it there's no mistakes yeah i know that's what that's what a lot of it was right a lot of it was covering up the the not great textures or sometimes there would just be fallout mistakes and there's no patching these games so right. just really make it dark so people can't see the cartoon was a little on the dark side too though because they always were battling at night they were always in the shadow realm sure. so it did it did skew to being more of a darker anime than something like a pokemon which even though it was an emotional show, it, it did take place mostly during the day in the sunshine, except for the one episode of Charmander where he was trapped in the rain, but I digress. 
we've covered a lot of anime games on this show now. We've we've gone through Pokemon, we've gone through Dragon Ball Z, which, you know, did a pretty good job on the GameCube. But then we have these franchises like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Beyblade, One Piece, even Digimon we talked about a little while ago, which are just such... It seems like that they weren't properly translated from their shows or card games or mangas in, into the GameCube library. But Ramon, you said that you actually like this game, so why don't you hit us with a few of the positives uh, from Yu-Gi-Oh! Falsebound Kingdom? Yeah, sure. So with Yu-Gi-Oh! Falsebound Kingdom, like again, they actually have a pretty decent story in there. Um, a lot of it is based on the, the anime that a lot of us were exposed to. I will say, though, because I'm assuming all of us really just watched the English dub of it, the yes. original Japanese version of Yu-Gi-Oh! Is a, uh, it's a little bit darker. It's not like crazy dark, but... You know, when every every time they talk about the Shadow Realm, they talk they talk about dying and like going to their hell. <laughs> um, so they have to censor that a lot. So the Shadow Realm isn't really a thing in the original uh, anime and manga. Um, mm-hmm. You're actually supposed to die, and they also have, like censored a lot of guns apparently. So mm-hmm. it is supposed to be a little bit darker, but uh, obviously for you know American market, it's had to be. Um, kind of toned down but yeah so and okay. with this uh plot or sorry with this storyline it's kind of similar in the sense that they get trapped in some virtual game which again is a plot line from the anime um and right. i think the whole point of it is like they're they if they don't get out like they essentially die in there as well um so there's a sense of urgency and there is like a oh like we got to find everyone so we can like get out of here and figure it out most of it is just text-based which isn't great you <laughs> would expect that since it is like an existing franchise that it is anime that they would actually include some you know cutscenes from the um, anime but since it is an mm-hmm. original storyline they didn't include any of that so a lot of it is just images with text on it unfortunately and and i know there are three different storylines i believe that you can take which is pretty i guess that's cool in a game like this uh, and then yeah. I, I think you can actually unlock joey's storyline at the if you've beaten the game uh, or something like that so that would be the third one then because, yeah, there's two storylines where you follow Yugi or Kaiba in their storylines. So the third mm. one would be Joey's. If you want to talk about, talk about like replayability, like they have that mechanic. So like you get the other side of the story because quite frankly, the maps are very similar, but it's just like you're always trying to catch up to the other character that you never played. Um, so I think that's where the plot kind of really helps the game, like help you play and move along and play it again and take different campaigns, um, even though, quite frankly the mechanics and the maps are all the same yeah (laughs) yeah that's too bad i think that having the console game being more of an rpg or at least an action game and less so based on the card game is is good like i said a few weeks ago card games i i i think card games are, are built for portable gaming consoles like the psp like the ds like the vita like the switch i think that Yu-Gi-Oh would be perfect for those consoles but when it comes to the home consoles they probably do need to do something a little more like this but just make it a little bit more exciting like make the monsters look bigger like why are they so small i remember watching the show thinking that Yu-Gi-Oh monsters are supposed to be this these huge beasts that are you know the size of buildings basically but then you see them in this in this game and they're they're like the size of mannequins fighting it just looks really awkward i just wish that they could have made them a little bit bigger make the action a little a little more dynamic but the limitations of the console were probably partially due to that and not a huge production budget obviously so there is a famous monster in here or at least famous to this game if you look up falsebound kingdom the first thing on google that comes up is actually moisture creature uh do you know anything about this ramon (laughs) the name does but i don't recall it being like one of my main character or main monsters um 
similar to what Neil was saying about the sizing, there are definitely some models in the game where I'm like, oh, this is what you, uh, this is what you look like in 3D. So and it's, it's not impressive whatsoever. So it's like, oh, this no, is a yeah. very lenient interpretation of the, the card art. It would have been cool if they went a full Egyptian style story and timeline and like had some massive Exodia looking stuff in there too, and yeah. just made the game feel really big. Like I, I know it is a bit weird having it being like an RPG RTS style game, and you're expecting a card game, but I think they could have done it in a cool way where they incorporate the cards in there, like so that there is still almost like the, I think like The Witcher in a sense, right, where you mm. can still play the, like a card game in the game itself if you want to. But the main storyline and to progress uh, has to go through kind of an RPG style game. They did it with Bat and Katos, which yeah. come, which is a GameCube game, and it is a card. Like the cards, the card battling RPG system was in place in this generation, so they could have done it. But it, it's very difficult, and they were just trying to make a game where there was no card battling in Yu-Gi-Oh. Yeah. But that is not a good fit for this is your only game on the console for a game that for a card game that kids love like it, it probably needed to have cards in it of some kind exactly i i will say that they did try to incorporate a few like card s element into yes. it where um if you do have specific monsters together combined on the field or on your team you can use something like polymerization where they would fuse into like this bigger like monster so you can kind of get that same same kind of like epic epic vibe mm-hmm. to it um other times it'll also be like if you have like two uh, kind of combining uh, monsters they'll like unlock a special um attack and that's when the particle effects kind of go crazy but uh they they did pull some of those like key monsters and um like iconic uh battles that they had in the show so um they they did try to p- put that in there yeah that, that's yeah that's nice that they there was some ties and it is a decent game it just uh it's not the game that people were looking for but ramon enemy of the pod does endorse it so ramon with that said why don't you read the back of the case for us since you do have that case in hand? It's time to read what's on the back of the case. There's things written on the back of the case. Let's read them. And now we're reading the back of the case. An all-new Yu-Gi-Oh! Challenge. Yu-Gi-Oh! and his friends are trapped inside a virtual reality game that's completely out of control. Save your friends and team up with, to fight your way to freedom. Play as either Yugi or Kaiba in two completely different storylines. There are as many secrets and plot twists to discover as players make their way through the kingdom. Gain experience, reach new levels, and learn new attacks. Create teams of three, monsters, and travel across vast landscapes while battling enemies. Discover sensational and special attack combos. The simple controls let you pit realistic 3D head-to-head in dazzling battles with ease. Dazzling battles. Dazzling. <laughs> you know what this reminds me of? And you know when Pokemon Stadium came up? Mm-hmm. I think that element of like, ooh, I can see it in 3D. I can see yeah. the monsters in 3D. I think that was what they're kind of pitching. Yeah, well, absolutely. Yeah. How did Pokemon Stadium do it so much better than Yu-Gi-Oh? All right, that's a, <laughs> that's a whole other topic. Because they had the mini games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the mini games. I want. I would love Yu-Gi-Oh mini games. It is. It is the mini games. That's God. It's Man so eater close. bug. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Man eater bug mini game. Man eater bug opens a sushi restaurant mini game. <laughs> that would have been so good. Yeah, give them. That's the thing is, Yu-Gi-Oh weren't meant to be. The monsters weren't meant to be goofy like Pokemon, so they couldn't do that. But came very close. And there are lots of great Yu-Gi-Oh games out there. And I'm sure that there's tons of people out there that like this one. 
but unfortunately it did not review super well and i i don't know if i'll ever look to pick this game up um i might actually look for the three limited edition cards that would be kind of fun to find but uh anyway ramon thank you so much for coming on the show today we really appreciate your insights into Yu-Gi-Oh, the false bound kingdom uh so i guess we'll be seeing you again really soon uh since now that you're the enemy of the show you're probably going to start coming on more often sort of like uh sort of like the joker in arkham city every game you hate i will like let's see that (laughs) okay (laughs) thanks again ramon thanks you guys what a nice young man what a nice young man Thank you, Ramon, for coming on, talking about some Yu-Gi-Oh! with us. I'm so split on Yu-Gi-Oh! Falsebound Kingdom, Mike. It's like one minute I look at it and it looks okay. The next minute I look at it, it looks bad. You know that episode of Seinfeld where Jerry's got that girlfriend where like if he looks at her under a specific light, she's ugly or beautiful? I feel <laughs> like that's my relation. Yeah, that he's dating a Two-Face. I feel like that's my relationship with the Falsebound Kingdom. I feel like if you look at it on a certain day under a certain light, looks great. But then once you start to delve deeper into it, it's just not the Yu-Gi-Oh game that we as kids would have wanted, which is tough. But there are so many Yu-Gi-Oh games like we talked about out there that there's a ton to pick from. And to this day, they're still coming out. So maybe someday there will be one that will grab me. But until then, I'm going to keep probably just going back and looking at my binder of Yu-Gi-Oh cards. (laughs) (laughs) Me too, Neil. Me too. Sounds good. But Mike, it's time to let it rip and continue our talk about disappointing anime games. Let's talk about Beyblade. <laughs> Super Tournament Battle was released on September 23rd, 2003, developed by Atari, published by Atari. This wow. is a GameCube exclusive, which is weird. It's rates about a 3 out of 10. It's priced at around $40 today. And once again, this is an RPG. So before we dive into this weird-ass game on the GameCube, let's talk about our Beyblade memories. Not as deep as the Yu-Gi-Oh! memories, but still a very big part of our childhood for a solid six months, probably. (laughs) Uh, I I was going to say 2002. It was a solid one year in 2002, you know? It was like a season, like like the, from the start of that year until like the winter, maybe spring of the next year, we were into it. We had the stadiums, we had like yep. 12 rip cords and one Beyblade for some reason, and then it was over. But to this day, Beyblades are still in toy stores. If you go down to Walmart, you will find Beyblade toys. They are still made really? to this day. They're not, they're not nearly as cool as they were when we were kids. I think they're far safer now because for the most part, kids were buying these toys as weapons. <laughs> basically <laughs> i remember mine one of the ones that i had uh was really sharp and uh yeah, it would like had metal in them <laughs> yeah you know, they would like destroy some of the other tops and then there was fights in the schoolyard because of that and they got banned like all these other games that we're talking about mm-hmm. but uh yeah yeah I, um, I obviously like you have very vivid memories letting her rip uh yep. buying the stadiums was a big one um mm-hmm. My dad and I actually made a few custom Beyblades, which was really cool. That was a good father-son bonding moment. Uh, we took, like, you know, ones that we already had, and my dad would outfit these, like, metal rings on them uh, to oh, make cool. them a little heavier. Your dad's a car yes. guy, so were you guys, like, making <laughs> them out of car parts? <laughs> yeah. And now that I think about it, I'm like, oh, we're like a chop shop for Beyblade. <laughs> Could have sold those on the black market at recess, Mike. Yeah. You could have gotten some killer gushers out of those uh, out of those Beyblades. Oh, because I remember there were some Beyblades too that would have these spikes on them. Uh, yes. And all I could like, I was like, is this like wh- who's regulating this? <laughs> <laughs> some of them had like sparks on them, like bits of flint, so they would like spark yes. up when they hit each other, which is hilarious. Some of them weighed more. Like even the rip cords were painful. Like people were hitting each other with those things, and most of them were only maybe eight inches long, ten inches long, but some of them were like a foot and a half. So they had some like whip to them, almost like getting towel whipped with like a razor blade. Yes. So it's it's no wonder why those toys were banned. Um, so people fast. again were. You, 
obviously kids were stealing from each other as well, which was a huge issue. And then people were launching them at each other. Uh, but Beyblade did something that no one ever thought would be possible was that they, they made spinning tops cool. Well, it, it, I mean, they, they did. It, it was it was basically a follow up from battle tops uh, or battling yes. tops from the 60s. They and ripped 70s. off. They ripped off battling tops is what they did. <laughs> Yeah, and, and and that those were popular amongst our parents' generation, and because mm-hmm. uh, I remember my mom uh, looking at Beyblade and saying, "Oh, this is like battling tops but edgy." <laughs> yeah, yeah, battling tops with razor blades is basically what they did. Like even battling tops in 1968 was when it came out. They even had rip okay. cords and everything, and the little domes that you could launch your tops into. So very similar. The only difference really is the tops themselves. They added dragons to them and sharp blades and weights and everything and they made them customizable they sort of threw in the whole lego element of creating your own beyblade and building it from scratch which was a ton of fun i want to talk about something too with uh how commercials and advertisements were really the reason why beyblade became a thing and became successful Uh, i was reading a Mm -hmm. couple articles about this uh, on how a lot of toys back then really faltered in their advertising game you know they, they would you would see them on tv and and kids very quickly will make up their minds when they see something on tv uh they'll oh, yeah. either hate it or love it right and and mm-hmm. you really have to make sure that your marketing campaign is good and beyblades was amazing first of all mm-hmm. it was everywhere like think back yep. as a kid and you saw those ads constantly uh on tv on ytv where we watched it in canada uh mm-hmm. i i used to see a like Babel, there was not billboards. I guess they kind of were. They, I remember seeing Beyblade bus stop things. Like they were advertising hard, and that yeah. was a huge part of why Beyblade was successful because those ads, especially the TV, like the TV ads, looked really cool. Yeah, and the theme song was incredible too. I remember kids singing the the Beyblade theme song at, at in the schoolyard. Which yeah. I mean, they did that with other like Pokemon theme songs as well. But this one was was like a pop punk kind of theme song it was really edgy and yeah it was everywhere they did a great job of of just fitting it into the toy aisles and there mm-hmm. were a lot of anime shows around this time that came out trying to basically catch the wave of pokemon and Yu-Gi-Oh. and we're going to talk about one of those shows in a few minutes which really was you could kind of tell the shows that were just trying to sell toys and not trying to make an interesting story <laughs> where there came a time where kids could tell when they were being marketed to and it was mm-hmm. blatantly obvious after after a while. Um, like after basically Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh, Beyblade, then there was a bit of a gap and then like Bakugan came out. But since then, I can't think of too many other of these kind of anime toy monster fads since then. There was also Monster Rancher and Card Captures. Like there were so yeah. many of these things. And yeah, there was only so much that, that we could take and eventually it just probably reached a breaking point and uh, this was the end of that. I didn't know until researching for this episode, there are 2,000 Beyblade episodes. Wow. That's I I vaguely remember watching it on TV, but it, like you said, mm. it was definitely made to sell toys. That, that it it, oh, yeah. uh, it wasn't doing anything else. <laughs> no, definitely, and it was also made to sell uh, video games. Apparently, there are a few Beyblade mm-hmm. video games out there. Specifically, the one today we're talking about is the GameCube one, and it's based on the plot from the F Four season. I don't even know what that is. <laughs> I think it was. I think that was even after our time. So this game was way too late, in my opinion. Um, but uh, basically, it's a tournament-based game where you earn experience points to buy better gear and then move your way up the the ranking. So. Another RPG, just like we talked about with Yu-Gi-Oh!, but uh, this one is based solely off of the Beyblade show. So a little bit better tied in, I suppose. Um, Why did Atari make this? 
I don't know. <laughs> like, and why was we, it a we, GameCube exclusive? Like this, this yeah. feels like it would have been a perfect PlayStation Two GameCube game. You know, like just both of those consoles, make it a budget title, maybe throw yeah. it in with a Beyblade or something, like have it come with a toy. That would have sold way more copies. More kids would have jumped in on it. I didn't even know that this game existed until no. we started researching for this show. I was so into other games on GameCube and like you don't associate Beyblade with Nintendo or Atari no. for that matter. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know how that worked. Uh, I'm assuming that they were probably looking for any type of IP that they could get to kind of save themselves from bankruptcy and... Beyblade was huge, so it in in yep. theory it made a ton of sense for Atari to go after Beyblade, but it did not work out for them at all. No, and, and I think you know there's a lot to take away from this game. Uh, I will say the visuals are pretty nice. the The menu mm. systems are nice. The HUD is is whatever. It, it, it's kind of it looks like it's supposed to kind of be almost a Soul Calibur style, where where the bar the health bars are at the top left and top right, and then uh, mm-hmm. it's kind of showing you some extra damage information up there as well uh but the biggest issue with this game is the fact that it is so much more fun to to play this in real life and if you own this game chances are like i'd say a hundred percent chance that you have a beyblade if you own this game yeah like it was basically just simulating having a beyblade but you could control where the beyblade went because obviously with the toys they weren't remote control i think eventually they did make remote control beyblade toys which was interesting I don't know mm-hmm. how well those worked. Probably not great, but they did eventually try to make something a little bit more akin to the, the cartoon where the characters could clearly influence the, the spinning tops to go in certain directions. Um, yeah. But yeah, like look, looking at this game, I actually got major vibes that the UI of like the menus and just like how the menu system works was very reminiscent of Pokemon Stadium on the N64. Yes. I thought ex- the exact same thing. Just the way that things like the, the cursor floating over everything and then like the music playing and you pick something, you pick your stadium, you pick your mode, you pick your Beyblade. <laughs> One thing yeah. that they did nail in this game was the customization of picking your Beyblade. I did think that that was very well done. Like you could pick the base, the weight, the blade, the spin disc, yeah. like a ton of different things that you could select to make a customized Beyblade. And like I said before, you can unlock other pieces. So that was a big part of collecting the toys was being able to uh, to customize and take them apart and mix and match to make a better top. But yeah, like you said, Mike, I, I think that like if you have even two Beyblades and a, and a sibling or a friend to play with, I don't know what the purpose of having this game would have been. I don't think it was a terribly long game either. Like the campaign might have been five or six hours. Um, I could be wrong, but I don't remember. It is the shortest long play I think I've ever seen. Uh, where it's 40 minutes. So Wow. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> that so, was from start from start to finish i mean they're clearly you know they've done it many times before so they're kind of speed running ah. it but still 40 okay. 40 minutes for a long play when we look up our our footage to get ready for these games they're often at least i would say three four hours and this mm-hmm. one is a solid 40 minutes and 48 seconds Jeez, that is incredibly short. What, I, I did really like the announcer in the game though i think yeah. that anytime you have you have one of these battle games you have to nail I almost said you have to nail the announcer. That sounds wrong. Uh, (laughs) You really have to get a good announcer, somebody who has a ton of energy. I would like to meet some of these people who do like the announcers because this guy was like a, he sounded like he was probably in his mid-20s, maybe in his early 30s, and he was really into it. Like I love the intensity. (laughs) I would have loved to have seen them in the recording booths doing that. Same thing with Pokemon. Let it rip. Like just just like Pokemon Stadium, like you repeat the things that the announcers say and it's, it's really fun. But yeah, I I have very little to say about this game. I am not looking for it. I think $40 is way too much, and it's probably only around that price because it's a GameCube exclusive. It's the only Beyblade game on the GameCube, and it's 
I mean, Beyblades, I think the original Beyblade toys are probably starting to get pretty expensive because just like the GameCube, people from our generation are starting to grow up, have money. They have some nostalgia for these Beyblade toys and how many of those are going to be in good shape in 2021, like 18 years after the oh, God, after no. the toys came out. Like, yeah. what are the odds of having like a mint condition Dragoon Ooh. Beyblade like in box in 2021? I, I can see that the prices of those types of toys are going to go up, if not already have gone up. I don't know what the resale value is of these <laughs> things. but I yeah. haven't even heard the word Dragoon until like it's for like 15 years because I completely right? forgot the name of that. <laughs> doesn't come up in conversation easily mike no you, you would think it would though <laughs> you would th- you would think so you would think well now you can impress people at parties that you know one beyblade very good all right let me read the uh, back of this case and we'll move on to the next game prepare for battle create your own character battle ray kai tyson and others or play as one of them hundreds of real life blade parts mighty bit beast attacks spinning spark flying action Multiplayer Mayhem. Mike, let's move on to the next game on our list today, which is Robotech Battle Cry, released on October 11th, 2002. This game was developed by Vicious Cycle Software. I like that name. Mm. Published by TDK Media Active. It's also on PS2 and Xbox. This game rates a 7 out of 10. It's priced at around $20 today. It's a third-person shooter, and I think pound for pound, this game is the best game we're going to be covering today. Yeah, it, it very much is. It is a Gundam clone uh for sure. It looks like Gundam. Mm-hmm. It's it's a mech game. And uh, I actually did, you know, to just sidebar from uh, from Robotech for a second. Sure. I, I was really surprised that there were no Gundam games on the GameCube because we're talking about four mech games today. Uh, Robotech yeah. being the first and Gundam, I would probably argue is the mech game. It's, it's probably the most well-known uh, series. Mm-hmm. And there was three Gundam games released on the GameCube, but only in Japan, so none in North America. Oh, okay, interesting. Well, that's going to be similar to another franchise we'll talk about later with Zoids. But yeah, Gundam is very popular, like, and it's old too, from 1979, which I did not know, whereas Robotech is a series from 1985. Interesting that this is actually the very first Robotech video game. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Coming out 17 years after the franchise started, they really got a late, a late go there. I would have thought that Robotech could easily have come out on Super NES or, or the PlayStation 1. Yeah, I think this was the time for mech games, right? The the ability <laughs> to finally get, like, 3D planes uh, True. that you could actually True. kind of fully immerse yourself in. Uh, True. This, this made sense. And the fact that there were already some successful ones coming out, uh, and especially in Japan, you know, these, these games are way bigger in Japan than they are here. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the decision, I guess, was to bring them over to the GameCube in North America with... Uh, with Robotech. Robotech Battlecry, which came out not long after the GameCube came out. And this is a very solid game. Like, right from the get-go, the opening cutscene yeah. is a completely voice-acted uh, cutscene with, like, stills going over it. And very well-told story. The music is good. It doesn't sound cheesy like a lot of anime games did sound like from this generation and still do, in my opinion. Yeah. I was I was watching the opening for this game, and I wasn't getting bored. Like, I wasn't getting... I didn't feel like I was going to throw up listening to some like whiny teenager sort of complaining. Uh, <laughs> the voice actor actually sounded a little bit like Keanu Reeves. It's not, but he kind of has that sort yeah. of pitch to his very like a soothing uh, voice to him so that that helps. And the story is very interesting. And then when the, when the game starts up, I love the space combat scenes where they're flying around or even just flying around in planes. Yeah. Like it's, it's so reminiscent of Star Fox 64, which I love and, I'm not the biggest fan of the Star Fox games on GameCube, Mike, you know that, but <laughs> this this looked like something that I would really love are the flight missions. Beautiful art, amazing sound design, 
graphics are stellar with with the uh, cell shaded graphics, which we talk about at nauseum at this Early point. Early cell shading like. before Wind yeah. Waker. You know, this is October mm-hmm. two thousand two. Done incredibly well, and I think that this was probably bits and pieces from there was a canceled N sixty four Robotech game uh, that never came out which is too bad. So I have a feeling that they had a lot of the designs ready to go for N64 and just moved it over to GameCube. Um, but yeah. Really uh, cool HUD too. Uh, you know, we love mm-hmm. talking about heads-up display on this podcast uh, because it is a big part of these games back then. Um, most games did it really poorly, so it's nice to see ones that do it well. And this one is. Uh, there's no text on the HUD at all. Very rare to see. It's only right. symbols, only icons, and only bars and they do it in a really clean, nice way that, you know, you could n- have never played a mech game like this before uh, or not have any kind of understanding of it, but you would immediately understand how to play this game. And I think mm-hmm. that's really the biggest thing with a lot of these video games is you should be able to just pick up and play. And it looks like you can for this. Yeah, 100%. Now, the game does kind of dip in quality a little bit, I think, when the ships turn into mechs, which is too bad because that's really the... That's probably the main selling point of the game, like running around the cities. It does get a little more choppy. It looks fine. It's just yeah. the textures are very flat. The draw distance is not very far. And the controls do get a little bit clumsy, unfortunately. We, it was still very early on. Like you said, you know, 3D three D graphics for mech games. It's very new. Yeah. I, I think that mech games do lend themselves very well to being in 3D. They're not the best 2D games. Like Transformers 2D wouldn't really work. Yeah. I don't know too much about a lot of mech franchises, which I feel bad for. I would love to spend some time and get to know Gundam a little bit more and Robotech and even Transformers. Like my only touchstone to this whole world is Beast Wars. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't feel like that's enough to talk confidently about it. Like yeah. I need to catch up on Transformers, I think first and foremost, which I've meant to do for for years now it's such a shame but did you know anybody in 2003 we've talked about Yu-Gi-Oh and Beyblade did you know anybody that liked Robotech when we were kids because I didn't I don't I don't remember anybody ever talking about this franchise I honestly don't remember anyone talking about this franchise I think again it was definitely more of a Japanese thing uh, that mm. got brought to North America where a select few who were big into Gundam would play it you know friend of the show Brian yeah. is a big big Gundam fan and he knows about Robotech never played it though and uh, okay. There's also a great, great article about Robotech. We talked about games that saved my life a couple episodes ago. Really great yeah. page. Uh, it, there's not really new ones that come out anymore, but still some of the old ones are really, really nice to read. Uh, created by Ashley Birch way back in 2011, I believe. That's right. And there's a great one for Robotech Battlecry for the GameCube, Neil. And I, I'd wow. like to read a, an excerpt from it. Yeah, please. I'm watching gameplay now, so this is going to be very nice. <laughs> My sister and I didn't exactly get along. Our interaction was limited to casual greetings and forced hugs at the behest of my parents. I was seven years older than her, the big brother, and she was my little sister. That was about it. I had unlocked all the multiplayer aspects of Robotech Battlecry, and I very reluctantly asked my sister to play with me. She lost a lot. It was to be expected. She never played a game like that or any game before that. Uh, So she still did enjoy it, though, and I enjoyed playing with her. It wasn't like anything we'd ever done in the past. We laughed, we joked, we heckled each other after we destroyed one another. We had sniper-only matches with fog turned on, so we could stalk each other through the city and try to gun each other down without causing excessive collateral damage. We had high ground sniper matches where one person would fly up on the hills and take a position while another would hide in the arena. Then we'd try and find each other before one player destroyed the other. 
I'll always remember Robotech, not just because it was a fun game, but because it brought me and my sister together despite years of practical silence. To this day, that game has helped me foster relationships with people who I now consider my friends, but I value the friendship it helped build between my, me and my sister the most. I still don't know anything about Roy Fokker or the Zentradi, but I know that I had fun playing a video game with my sister, which before this was something more unreal to me than giant robots or wars in space. That's that's an amazing story. What a strange game to bring a brother and a sister together. Yeah, yeah. Like you'd think it would have been maybe a game based on a movie or everybody talks about Mario or Zelda being that game or Mario Kart, like a Nintendo franchise. I say this time and time again, I love when people have emotional attachments or just fond memories of games that weren't just Nintendo licensed properties yes. and were were games based on other franchises or maybe games that were just fresh ideas in from this generation. It's really neat. Kind of like how you and I bond over Nightfire. Yeah, yeah. A game not based on a James Bond movie. It's not published by Nintendo. It's just a game on GameCube that we both happen to own and we love it to this day. And all I could so. think of when I was reading this was was Nightfire, you know, playing mm. playing the sniper only matches with fog turned on. You know, that that reminds me of playing on Fort Knox with you and I. Yeah. Uh, high ground yeah. sniper matches, flying up the hill so we don't destroy things. That's that sounds like Phoenix Base. Uh, yeah. We're trying yeah. to, trying to blow everything up. You know, <laughs> I think those kind of multiplayer aspects for a lot of these games, the multiplayer was almost overlooked, especially in reviews of these games. Yeah. So you'll you'll often see a game reviewing quite low, uh, where because the reviewers were really just focused on the single player, when we talked to Kate Gray, the video game journalist who came on for Harvest Moon, she had the really good point that oftentimes these reviewers only have the game for a couple of days before they have to write right. this article. And mm -hmm. they often don't get a chance to really uh, play the multiplayer. So they're basing the game's uh, review just off of single player. I think that happened a bit with Robotech, which has, you know, uh, good reviews, not great. Uh, I mm -hmm. think, would you did you say sixes and sevens, Neil? It's a 7 out of 10. Okay. It gets mostly high 6s, low 7s. Yeah, so I gave it an average of about 7, which I think is pretty fair. Like, it's a good it's a good game. And I think I think that that could be even higher, you know, with multiplayer taken into account. Because mm. multiplayer on this game is actually really fun watching gameplay. It looks like a good time. Like I said, it reminds me a bit of Nightfire in that sense. Reminds me reminds me of doing a bit of hide-and-seek, but actually fun. <laughs> and, uh, and the fact that it can bring... Um, two siblings who were so indifferent to each other together to play on this random game with, you know, his sister had just played Game Boy Color games before this, really. And so this was a huge step wow. for her. So the fact that oh, she geez. was able to pick this up and, and, and have yeah. a good time is, is really heartwarming. Yeah, definitely. And to this day, I don't hear many people talking about Robotech as a franchise. But if you're listening out there and you're a fan of robots like Transformers or Gundam and you like Star Wars, like the dogfights from uh, Rogue Leader, like this is an excellent pickup for yeah. a very good price. And I didn't look at the PlayStation 2 version, but I can assume it's only less than the GameCube version. So a game for $20, that this looks like an incredibly good deal. Like I said, pound for pound, this is probably going to be the best game we talk about today. And I am 100% on the lookout for it now. But we'll talk about that more at the very end of the episode. Mike, should we cover the back of the case of Robotech Battlecry before we move on to our next game? Yes, we should. Change or die? Devastated by the Robotech War, Earth struggles to fight off the remaining alien Zentradi invaders. As a transformable Veritech fighter pilot, you must engage the enemy on land in battleoid mode, in aerial dogfights, in guardian mode, and in outer space battles in fighter mode. Change into warrior, change into a hero, change or die. Robotech Battlecry. I can imagine reading that and not knowing what the hell any of that means, because if you don't know the subject matter, you're lost. So I can definitely see why 
if you didn't know what Robotech was, you probably weren't likely to pick this one up. Yeah. But hopefully, hopefully we steer some people out there to try and uh, scoop up a copy if they can. Anyway, let's move on to the next game on our list today. Gotcha Force was released on December 3rd, 2003. It's developed by Capcom, also published by Capcom. This is another GameCube exclusive. Rates about a 6 out of 10. Mike, this game is insanely pricey at around $500 on eBay. And this game would be considered like a third-person shooter slash RPG again. I'm not really too sure what the genre is of this game. It's a very strange yeah, uh, game. Another for... mech game. Yeah, another mech game, I guess. These are all mech games in their own little way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because, it, it, you know, they're, it's another Gundam-like. You know, it's based on mm-hmm. an anime. Well, actually, for this one, it's based on toys. But uh, yeah. also might be an anime. I forget. Uh, yeah, it's got a toy line. It's got a manga line. They're incredibly rare in Japan, uh, and it did not pick up really at all in North America. Like I said earlier, this was towards the end of the wave of the whole anime resurgence with Pokemon, Dragon Ball Z, Yu-Gi-Oh!, Digimon, all those guys. So this mm-hmm. one was just lost in the flood of all of those uh, franchises. Fun fact, Neil, Gotcha Force is officially listed as the worst-selling GameCube game of all time, which I thought wow. was a little fun fact there uh and that is of course why it is five hundred dollars today wow that's the worst selling game does it say how many it does not say how many but i believe what was the number for cubivore it was like ten thousand or something yeah Uh, it it was the low thousands like five figures yeah so uh so i would then i would estimate this is you know looking at around the same same numbers maybe even less maybe like a seven thousand that's that's hard to believe. I've seen a few copies of it, like in the wild. I, I've seen one at least. It wasn't when it was five hundred dollars. It might have been two or three. This was back in like twenty sixteen. I remember seeing a copy at one of the video game stores here in, in Toronto, and mm-hmm. I remember not knowing anything about it. And one of the guys I was with said that he had a PC version of it, or like a I guess a ROM of the game, because unless you have the GameCube disc for five hundred dollars, there's no other way you can play it. One yep. thing that's interesting about this game, though, it's funny that you mentioned sales. I wonder if this includes the reprinted version of the game as well. Ooh. In March 2012, which is about nine years after the game came out, Capcom actually reprinted this game on GameCube, on GameCube discs, oh. and sold it. I think they might have sold them online, and uh, you could buy it. So you could buy this game nine years ago, brand new, if you wanted to. Yeah, I don't think the figures I saw included that because that's that's a weird one. There's very few games that have done that. I was trying to think, like, where else have we heard that happening? The, the closest thing I could think of was Xenoblade, I, the, yes. the, the Wii game, which eventually, yeah, like Xenoblade has been remade and re-released a bunch of times now uh, just because they don't know how popular it's going to be. And I think that this whole reprint happened because the game has developed a bit of a cult following yep. over the past 18 years or so. It it slowly is going up in ratings and people talk about it being a fun game, a bit of a hidden gem on the GameCube and not this worst game of all time. I find it hard to believe that it's the lowest selling game. Like it, it's not, it doesn't look that bad. Well, the, the biggest problem with this was that, so it was based on uh, the Japanese Gachin, uh, Gachikon toys. Uh, and it just didn't translate well to Western markets at the time because that wasn't a well-known phenomenon outside of Asia, having those toys. And on top of that, there really was zero advertising uh, done by either Capcom or Nintendo, uh, meaning that kids would have to actually go to a store, see it, and then ask their parents to buy it, you know, mm-hmm. it, it, while they were in that store. This was 
you know, we talked earlier how Beyblade advertising was everywhere. Well, this was literally the opposite. <laughs> it was nowhere in uh, in North America. And that that is always so interesting to me. We had the same thing happen with Cubivore in the sense that Nintendo didn't trust Cubivore enough to be a thing. That they mm. they were the ones, they developed the game, but they didn't publish it. Which is, we, okay. I think, figured it out that that was the only Nintendo game that they've ever developed and not published. Because, yes. you know, why would you ever do that for <laughs> Nintendo? Right. Uh, and, and so that just shows how little faith they had uh, in the game. No marketing, no push for it. It sells 10,000 copies. Same mm-hmm. thing happens with Gotcha Force. Gotcha. No pun intended. I really think, whenever I think of Gotcha Force, I always think of Yokai Watch, which was a 3DS Pokemon style game, but yep. with ghosts instead of Pokemon. I just, for some reason, it, it reminds me almost of the exact, like they're the exact same thing. Uh, just this game that came out tried to be the next the next pokemon and just failed uh incredibly uh yokai watch wasn't a failure but it, it wasn't as big as clearly what nintendo was hoping it was going to become i get i get vibes at the very beginning uh of it where the menu comes up you actually are mm-hmm. are at a desk yeah uh, and there's a gamecube there uh obviously yep. <laughs> i know yep. we love to see gamecubes in the wild uh in video games but that's right this desk Neil looks so so similar to melee that was the first thing i thought of it's even got the t the crt tv on there it's 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 set up it's it's by the window with the drapes like it it almost looks like identical to melee yeah they were trying to do like a smash bros 2 which nintendo went away from it with melee they didn't make it quite as toy like as smash bros on n64 Mm -hmm. this game does look a little bit like an n64 game though like it looks a little rough like it's yeah slightly more polished but not by much yeah it's 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 pretty rough um uh, just a fun fact the the game designer of uh gotcha force is the same game designer as the early gundam versus games which are considered to be the kind of premier gundam games at the time and mm. and this makes a lot of sense uh at atsushi uh tomita who is the, uh, okay. the game designer and yeah because it, it looks like a gundam clone almost uh except less yeah. less spacey you know, you're you're yep. you're uh, less in space. You're more on the ground, more mm-hmm. more so, and the graphics aren't as good. Everything is just not as good. You know, <laughs> like it feels it feels like a budget title. It very much does. It was trying to be Robotech for kids. I think that was kind of the idea, or Gundam for kids. Uh, the, the the whole plot of the story is Earth is being attacked by Gotcha Borgs, known as the Death Force. Uh, a child named Ku, I think is his name, or Cow, uh, finds a Borg named G Red and forms the Gotcha Force. Uh, the boy then goes out on an adventure to defeat the Death Force leader, uh, the Galactic Emperor, a bit like Star Wars there. Why is it always a 10-year-old kid that has to save the world in all of these anime games? It's We're not even what done talking about them. Doing? I know. What the heck are the adults doing in these worlds, man? It's so strange. Uh, the gameplay, before each match, uh, the Gotcha Force commanders, you must pick your Borgs to put onto your Force, which are your toys, basically. Uh, each Borg costs a certain amount of uh, Gotcha Force energy in order to place them in the Force. So it's kind of like a little budgeting simulator, actually. You have to cut, you have like a certain uh, amount of Gotcha Force that you can use to, uh, to power your team, and those are the robots that you can use to fight. So really, this... This is just the perfect formula for a franchise just trying to sell toys. Yes. And when you make it this blatantly obvious, like I said with uh, with Beyblade, like kids start to pick up on that and parents definitely do. Like they're not going to buy their kids dozens of these toys. Like they've already done this upteen times now in the last few years since Pokemon. So yep. yeah, I think that was the 
definitely the end of this this era of of these types of games and shows uh, again we didn't really we didn't catch the bakugan phase and that was a huge wave as well so some some franchises did break through but gotcha force unfortunately was not one of them it looks okay but not great yep one last yep. thing the hud as we always like mm-hmm. to talk about sure it's not great on this one but it does use something that is used today which is flat design flat design being uh just showing one color uh, usually pretty solid lines around things, uh, making it look like it's flat rather than 3D. Um, most stuff, uh, most design in this time, in the early 2000s, was all about gradients, lots of 3D, everything's supposed to look like it's jumping off the screen for mm. you. This is very okay. flat, and I uh, just wanted to mention that I don't think I've really seen games at all in this generation have that flat design like we see today. Does that help the game at all to you or not? Does no, it make no, it, it's, does, it just, yeah. it's just a, a, a neat factotum, you know? Oh, okay. <laughs> no, we're full of factotums on, uh, on this show. Yep. All right, let's hit the back of the case and we'll move on to our next game. Get ready to use Gotcha Force. It's toy versus toy in this over-the-top, colorful 3D action shooter. Create the ultimate fighting force by choosing from over 200 humanoid, monster, robot, and mechanoid gotcha borgs, and then go into battle to defeat the baddest toys on the block. Only those with the most powerful army will win. Very nice. None of these characters look overly interesting to me. <laughs> no, like many of these, the character design is a little, little stale. Uh, something that that made Yu-Gi-Oh so good was the character design was so, so edgy, so awesome. It's yeah. so of the early two thousands that it worked, right? Yeah, and they straight up rip off Digimon in one of the monsters. I'm not sure if there's supposed to be some crossover there, but it looks <laughs> a lot like the Agumon giant dinosaur. Next game on our list today is Metabots Infinity, which was released on December 14th, 2003. This game is developed and published by Natsume. It's only on the Nintendo GameCube. Rates a 4 out of 10. If you wanted to pick this game up today, it's around $100. Mike, I'll give you a guess. What type of game do you think this is? Oh, I think it's uh, it's probably a first-person shooter stealth. 100% right, Mike. It's a bowling game. Nope. It's an, <laughs> it's an RPG. As always, we have an RPG based on the Metabots. I would have said fishing because it's Natsume. Oh, true. Yeah, we did talk a lot about Natsume with Mark Mark Davis's Metabots Infinity. <laughs> <laughs> Presented by Harvest Moon. Presented by Harvest Moon, based on the movie, based on the game. <laughs> Metabots is a Japanese-Canadian role-playing video game franchise created by Rin Haruma. Uh, and is currently owned by Imagineer. It came out in 1997. These franchises are a lot older than I thought they were. I really yeah. thought Metabots was like a millennium thing, like after 2000. But no, it's a 90s franchise. Yeah, and the, the show that I remember vaguely watching uh, mm-hmm. came out in 2001 in Canada, aired in Canada from 2001 to 2004, and it was okay. localized by the great Canadian animation company Nelvana. Nice. I remember seeing their logo all the time the on YTV. Bear. The polar bear logo. They, they have an office not far from where I work. So I pass by some kind of office. I have. I would love to know what they do in there because that <laughs> logo is so tied to me with the YTV oh, days of watching, of watching shows like Metabots. I did watch Metabots when I was a kid. I don't have any memory of what any episode was ever about. No, no, me neither. That's that's kind yeah. of where I'm at. <laughs> yeah, it's it's like it's in my brain, but there's nothing there. <laughs> there's a file what? folder labeled Metabots. It, it, the file's corrupted. I can't. I can't. <laughs> I can't get any of the content out of there. It's it's done. What is it with all of these animes, though, Mike? That made developers want to make either an RPG or a brawler. Like there, it seems to be like no in between. It's either an RPG or a, a fighting game. Because that was that's what it was selling, right? Like that's like, yeah. that's what it seemed to be selling. You had a couple of these games that were successful, like Gundam and 
I guess a lot of these publishers took hold and said, hey, look, this is also anime. We might as well yeah. make this, you know, a brawler or a, an RPG in this sense. Yeah, kind of like Final Fantasy or... Because uh, a lot of it has yeah. to do with, yeah, Final Fantasy, Pokemon, obviously, is the big one. The fact that that is, was, like, the number one selling RPG of all time. Like, let's mm-hmm. make everything Pokemon-esque now. I guess so. Yeah, Pokemon did kind of ruin it for us, I suppose. No, <laughs> Even though people did try to copy Pokemon, no one did it right, which is interesting. Including this game. Including this game. It's, it's another game where a 10-year-old has to save the world. There's a uh, Riverview City kids have gone missing. The Rubber Robo gang may be responsible. It's up to Icky to stop them. And Icky is a 10-year-old boy with his uh, Metabee, his, his robot. And you have to go around town beating up other robots and bad guys in order to, I guess, save the day. Um, but yeah, let, let's talk about the the game. Uh, this game <laughs> looks horrible. <laughs> yeah, this is uh, not a good game. This is just an objectively bad game. You know, we talked with Yu-Gi-Oh! how uh, it, it was a bad game in quotes for someone who was looking for a Yu-Gi-Oh! card game, but a good game for someone who was just looking for an RPG adventure while, mm-hmm. uh, an, or a slash RTS. Well, this, this is just a plain bad game it is half of it is a walking simulator it feels like uh the other half is just this slow moving rpg of nothing like there Mm -hmm. is nothing going on uh the the graphics are horrible for the time this is like Mm -hmm. early n64 at this point yeah i feel bad that we always compare bad gamecube games to n64 graphics i know you hate the n64 i don't (laughs) but when you're when you're playing a gamecube game you expect a little bit more but looking at gameplay for this game, it's just like there's nothing going on. Like it's one thing to just be this, you know, you're playing as Metabee, the robot, and you're fighting other robots, which is it's fine if you're just going to be going through tunnels and everything. But I can see myself just getting lost in this game, and I mean that in a bad way because there's nothing <laughs> there's nothing uh, differentiating one area from another. Like you get that point where you feel like you've been in a spot before over and over and over again, and it's not yep. – it's not cool when that when that type of thing happens. The battle is just so slow and so yeah. clunky. And the camera, uh, the biggest problem that people had with this game, and I can already see it just by watching gameplay, is the camera. It is awful. Mm. Uh, yeah. it, it, it's it's going everywhere you don't want to go, basically. <laughs> you know, you look at something like these Gundam games, which are, like we said, not not really art games, but we can appreciate how they're made and, and how they can right. be extremely fun. Because they're often these fast-paced games out in space uh, with a lot of stuff going on and really intense, mm-hmm. uh, uh, often with really good music too. This just has none of that. This is just everything you don't want in, in a mech mm-hmm. game. Yeah, and Metabots was very much just these little robots fighting. Like it wasn't meant to be a space battle like Gundam or or like Robotech. It was never meant to be like a sci-fi. No, it could be at least interesting and like you know, <laughs> speedy. Like it's just so slow. It's so yeah. like I I I feel like I need to watch gameplay on uh, like two times speed. <laughs> I know, and I was trying to think like what would I have done to have fixed Metabots the game here, like like Metabots Infinity. What. What could I have done? I, I don't like I said I don't remember enough about the show to to, to really have an opinion on what would make what would make the game better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it could have been like a good action adventure, I suppose. Like a platformer might have been fine. There aren't not enough anime platformers from this generation. Yeah, there could be more. They, yeah, there could have been more. They were just all taking up the RPG space. This might have been an okay kind of like a Ratchet and Clank. The more that I think yeah. about it, the more that I think of the character Clank from the PS2 game. That could have been an okay idea. But and Neil, your favorite Game Boy Advance link cable comes back here. Oh crap! What does it do? 
Uh, well, hooking up MetaB and Rokusho uh, Game Boy Advance games allows for secret unlockable MetaBots, which are Arc Beetle uh, yeah. and Mega uh, Emperor. Uh, while the Game Boy Advance Link option is inaccessible in the European version, there is a screenshot of it in the game's uh, instruction manual. So, <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, <laughs> well, someone just copied and pasted. I feel bad for the Europeans with the GameCube generation. I feel like they were left out of a lot of things, it seems. It does. This, that PAL yeah. region. Yeah, something about the PAL region. I, I feel bad for you guys. When, on our GameCube enthusiast on the, uh, on the Facebook group that we're a part of, I feel like I always hear of Europe versions not having certain things and... They did get some things that we didn't, but I, I feel like they got the short end of most of the sticks from the GameCube generation, unfortunately. Yep. Well, Neil, yeah. I think it's back to the case time. All right. Let's move on from this one quickly. <laughs> Metabots Infinity. More Metabots, more power. More Nintendo GameCube excitement. There's been some trouble lately at the popular amusement park Turo Turo Land. It seems that some of the Riverview's kids have gone missing. It is rumored that this meta mischief is due to the Twisted Rubber Robo Gang. Join Icky as he begins his journey as a meta fighter and tries to save the missing amusement park attendees from the clutches of the evil Rubber Robo gang. Icky must solve various mysteries and puzzles with help of his trusted metabot. Completely customize your metabot to solve various puzzles and for action-packed robo battles. Roll battle characters and metabots popular in the Metabox TV animated series. I don't think I've ever seen or heard you say Nintendo GameCube on the back of a case. I've read so many now, Mike. I don't know. It's been <laughs> it's been 310 games now or whatever. And yeah, it does say more Metabots, more power, more Nintendo GameCube, TM excitement. So yeah, yeah. very neat. Very neat. But let's go on to the last game of the day, which is a series that uh, I completely forgot existed, Neil. But yep, very interesting one. Let's remind you, Mike, that Zoids exists. Zoids Battle Legends, also known as Zoids Versus, was released on September 5th, 2004. This game was developed by Tommy Group. It's published by Atari. It's a GameCube exclusive. Rates another 4 out of 10. Priced today at around $75. It would be like an action game. This is very much you're banging your mechs together. But Zoids, I always thought Zoids was actually a spinoff of Power Rangers because yes. of Megazords. And they just look like some of the, char the, the robot characters from the Power Rangers TV show. But this one, like a lot of these other ones, Neil, is actually really old. Uh, mm -hmm. From the early 1980s, 1982 to be exact, is when they actually got the Zoids name. Wow. And there are, uh, it was a, just a model kit, really. That's all they were at the time. Uh, same with Gundam. They started out with these model kits and mm. went on for many years. And then the, the TV series and the, the anime and the, the, the manga as well came out. Uh, I remember mm. watching the show on uh on tv when i was a kid uh, i remember i remember i enjoyed it a lot because it was like beast wars uh okay. because they were the zoids were animals uh the actual mm -hmm. kind of description of the zoids are that they are fictional biomechanical life forms that are found on the planet z a <laughs> zoid is essentially a mechanical animal formed around a techno organic core known as the zoid core which serves as its heart and mind the core is considered to be alive, making the Zoid a living creature. Otherwise, its body is an artificial mechanical construct like any other mech. That actually reminds me more of Bionicle than Beast yes. Wars. Yes. It's like a mix of Bionicle and Beast Wars because Bionicle, they have a life in them and the mask is also part of their life as well. So It's a crossover of our two favorite things. Yeah, it really is. And I should really like Zoids a lot more, but I don't know any way of watching it. Like, I don't know. It might be on Netflix, question mark. I don't know. It. There aren't 
a ton of Zoid games. If they are, they're very under the radar coming out on PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5. Mm -hmm. There aren't as many as uh, like Yu-Gi-Oh, which we talked about. There are actually four Zoids games on the GameCube, but we're only talking about one today because only one came out in North America. The rest came out in Japan. That's why... This game is also known as Zoids Versus in Japan. There's Zoids Versus 3 as well. There's yeah. a bunch of different... Uh, I, I couldn't follow like what the actual ones were. It's confusing. Were. Yeah, yeah it's, it's a little confusing. It's kind of no like the Wikipedia page for it. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, the Zoids community needs to step up their game a little bit. There was very little about this game as well yeah. over there. Uh, so just by watching gameplay, I had to get some information on my own and... The voice acting in this game is very compressed. Like the for for some reason the the sound is it just sounds like an SNES game almost like not yeah. even N sixty four. It just sounds very muffled, uh, which is strange because the concept art for Zoids is incredible. Like I love the design of the mechs in Zoids almost as much as like Gundam. Like they look really yeah. cool because you're right. They it is a lot like Beast Wars. I love mechanized animals and almost getting vibes like Horizon Zero Dawn on yeah. PlayStation four. Uh, the, the, the animals look a lot like that too. I can uh, see why these would be really fun to build and collect on a to as a toy line because yeah. they are very, very intricate. Uh, mm. and I've always, I've always enjoyed, yeah, like you said, the look of Zoids, but mm. th this game feels okay. It doesn't feel, it's not a bad game, but it's not a great game either. It's mm -hmm. by definitely not worth $75. Uh, and I've seen it much no. harder than that too, Neil. I've seen that like behind the cases at, at wow. places for a hundred, hundred and twenty-five before. It's just a very empty game. Like it's it's a another lot, empty game. Another empty game. It looks a lot like Robotech. Like it looked a lot like that game, but just a few pegs lower. Like the developers didn't quite know what they were doing. There's a low draw distance, so you can't see very far, which is a shame because I mean the environments are pretty empty anyway, so I guess that doesn't matter. But on a GameCube game, that's not ideal. And the frame rate also dips from low at best to bottom of the barrel. Like when there's a lot of explosions on screen and your robot is fighting someone else, it just it just dips so low and it gets really choppy. At first, I was thinking like, you know, looking at the cover, looking at the opening cutscene, I was like, this looks pretty sweet. Like Zoids looks kind of cool. I've heard of this franchise before. Didn't yeah. know it was a standalone thing. Maybe I'll look into it. And then the game started up, and I was like, oh, I, I don't think I want this game anymore. <laughs> uh, maybe something on a on a more modern console where they've fixed a lot of those graphical bugs and they've added more to the environments. Perhaps it would be really cool. But no, my money is still on another game uh, on this list today. So unfortunately, Zoids is not something I think I would want. Uh, it's also a very short game. It's only about four hours with this campaign, as I could tell. A completionist, uh, a little bit more, at more like 20 to 25. So... Another very short game on the list today. And the publisher and developer of this game, Tomi, uh, they published it simultaneously with Atari. Back again here. Somehow Atari gets two games on this list. <laughs> and uh, Tomi actually is not a video game developer at all. They are a toy producer. Uh, they produce the Zoids toys, obviously, mm -hmm. uh, as well as a bunch of others like Transformers. They have licenses in Japan for Thomas and the Tank Engine. Uh, oh, wow. Pokemon, Naruto, uh, they published a game of life in Japan. Uh, wow. They also do all the Mega Man toys uh, and Animal Crossing uh, toys as mm. well in Japan, which is pretty cool. And yeah. Tomi, uh, you you might have remembered them, Neil, because we did mention them for a second earlier on in one of our episodes, and that was for the racing episode. They made the Choro Q racing, the, the penny racer. Oh, wow. No way. I forgot. Man, that's the game that I still need to pick up, the uh, road trip. The road mm -hmm. trip game. Yeah. Man, yep. These guys are pretty good toy makers. They're not great 
video game developers. I no, because <laughs> that is one of the only ones that they've done. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what happened there. They, I'm sure that there's still Zoids games that come out. There are Zoids but, games that come out. Yeah, yeah. it still exists. Uh, Zoids is still relatively popular, just because the the toys are are I think always going to be popular. Making those model kits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the like. The thing that you need to nail with toys is that, like, our friend of the show, John, is a huge toy collector. And it's the same thing with, like, Nintendo Amiibos. They need to look good in large amounts on a shelf together. Like, once you start collecting a bunch, like, upwards of a dozen of them, and and if they look good together on a shelf, like, you know you've done something right. Like, our friend John has a ton of Transformers. They all look so cool lined up together. He's got a ton of Bionicles. They all look incredible. There's a consistency in the characters that just needs to be hit right and like going back to something like gotcha force those characters didn't really look cool i can't imagine them looking good in a big group but when you get something together like gundams or zoids it just looks great for a toy line but it doesn't really translate well to this video game unfortunately yep agreed well neil yeah i think it's back of the case time all right sounds good zoids battle legend join the battle for planet z Pilot and fight up to 40 classes of Zoids. Modify Zoids for battle with over 100 weapons, parts, and system upgrades. Play as one of 17 well-known characters, including Bit, Van, Fiona, and others. Choose from 14 battlefields. Inflict damage four different ways. Mission mode, battle mode, versus mode, and fists mode. Welcome to the world of Zoids. Fist mode. Just full out out melee. (laughs) (laughs) The gloves are off in fist mode. Mike, we covered a lot of games today. Are there any on our list that you would suggest that the listeners should try to check out? I think Robotech Battlecry is is the way to go for sure. Uh, mm-hmm. This game looks really, really good for 2002. Honestly, one of the best looking 2002 games out there, other than maybe Soul Calibur. Uh, cell shading looks great. It looks like a fun time. It was amazing to read that that little story about, uh, about the emotional attachment that... Uh, uh, the guy has to Robotech mm-hmm. and the fact that the multiplayer is a really fun time and I could see myself playing this game which is big for me I, if I can't visualize myself playing a game after the first like 30 seconds of watching it it's mm-hmm. it's a tough time for me to really um, you know really want to buy it but uh, mm-hmm. this is one that as soon as I saw it, I was like yep yep I could do this this is like Star Fox in space with you know mm-hmm. some Gundam elements and just looks like honestly a really fun time yeah, it's funny how the older we get, we start to look at video games as if we're buying like a car or a house. Like, do you see yeah. yourself in this game? Do you? What do I have to do to get you in this game today, Mike? <laughs> it's funny how that's starting to, and it is true. Like, we're starting to look at games like that, which I find is, uh, it's hilarious. My choice is the same as yours, Robotech. Easy answer. It's the same reasons as you. It just looks like a fun game. It's from a franchise that I know nothing about, and. Another thing I wanted to ask you is, are there any franchises that we talked about today that maybe you want to go back and look into more in the shows or the manga or any movies? Are there any, like, was there anything here that popped out at you today that maybe you thought, hey, I might go check this out? I'd love to go back a little bit into the Yu-Gi-Oh! kind of consortium of of games that they have that you said over 50 games. And I know that there's a lot of very popular Yu-Gi-Oh! games on just PC and just online that people play. Friend of the show, Curtis, who was on for the Metroid Prime episode, is a big Yu-Gi-Oh! guy. Got back into it, you know, was like us, hadn't played it since 2005 probably, and plays online uh, just, you know, playing like with some new, uh, playing with the cards that we grew up with rather than playing with 
the million effect cards that there are now. Yeah. And that's what I would love to kind of find and, and, and do, because that would be, it's such a great way to just, you know, kill 10 minutes, play around with Yu-Gi-Oh, go back to work. I would mm-hmm. do that with Pokemon Showdown all the time. It was another yeah. great way to kind of keep up with Pokemon. So, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I'd like to explore Yu-Gi-Oh a little bit more. I, I'm I'm feeling the same. I would love to go and check out some of these Yu-Gi-Oh games. I, I, I'm i like you. I don't want to learn the game because I feel like if we go and learn modern-day Yu-Gi-Oh, we're going to have to learn the game all over again because there are so many new things since we stopped yeah. playing close to 16 years ago now. I, w- I would want a Yu-Gi-Oh game where like they know that there's a large group of people out there like us in their mid to late 20s, maybe early 30s now, who played the game when it first came out and then stopped. Mm-hmm. Almost like how Pokemon came out with the uh, the Let's Go series a few years ago, where, which was just Gen 1. It was just for us kids from the 90s who yeah. played Gen 1. I want Yu-Gi-Oh! to do something like that, where they just put out the original cards from back in the day or just if that's a mode in the game that they have and that's what you play it's just basic basic trap cards basic magic cards basic monster cards that's really what i want to do because that would be a lot more chill i don't have to worry about special summons and tribute cards and all this stuff like i just want to play the game like i did as a kid i feel like an old man and wanting to keep things the same (laughs) as they always were i'm sorry that's just how I want to. I feel like you should be able to do that these days, though. Like there should be enough customization in games where you can kind of break it down and play it the way you want. I don't like change. <laughs> I really don't, especially with my childhood. But Mike, well, people are out there changing my childhood on a daily basis. Why don't you let the listeners know what they can expect next week on the GameCube Was Cool podcast? Well, next week, Neil, is a big week. It's the F Zero week. We're going to talk about this dead franchise because it is dead. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> but one day it might come back in 2029. Uh, and we're going to talk about our memories of the final uh, installment in the F-Zero series, which is F-Zero GX, one of our favorite games growing up, Neil, and really opened me up to uh, a much broader set of games, and I'm really thankful for playing this as a kid. Me too. I loved F-Zero as a kid, played a bunch of different versions of it, including the GameCube one. I love futuristic racers. There's a bunch of them on the Switch and PlayStation 4 and everywhere else, and it definitely is the gateway drug to that universe it's a hard as hell game so i'm really excited to talk about it and we're gonna have a few guests joining the show as well Mm -hmm. yeah it's gonna be a fun time yeah gonna be great but until then ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for listening to episode 63 of the gamecube is cool podcast new episode every thursday on all the major podcast services leave us ratings and reviews so we can make the show better if you want to support the show you can find us on patreon we are the gamecube was cool and then follow us on instagram at the gamecube pod share us with your friends and family Tell Kaiba, Neil says hi. Thank you so much for the support, and we will see you next week. I play my Pot of Greed. Mokuba. It allows me to draw two additional cards. Over 600 games you've never heard of. GameCube. The product of what happens when you think inside the box. GameCube.